If you're new with us here, welcome, right? It's great to have you. This is um, really, really a great opportunity to hear kind of the beginning of everything, right? We're going to be working over the next 11 weeks through a new series. Last week, we closed Nehemiah. This week, we're picking up with the beginning of everything. Opening statements is going to be the name of our series. And in the fall, when we have a chance to kind of buckle down, school schedules get back, we stop being on vacations and all the travel, we can really kind of get our nose in the book and and get in the nose to the grindstone and work hard to get through something that is really a big deal, okay? As we go, we're calling the series Opening Statements because we're gonna take an opening statement, some of the first words that God speaks into history and unpack what that means through a particular lens. So as we go, every week, as you hear the the word preached, I want you to practice being an active listener. So right now, one of the differences between being a listener and an active listener is right here, right? you grab something to write with, you have somewhere to make some notes in a margin, you're going to be able to keep up and follow along a little bit better. I know I have mornings or sometimes Saturday nights that go longer than I expected. I know I've got a lot coming up in the following week. And even sitting down here on the front row with nobody in front of me to distract me, I still have times where my mind starts to wander and drift. And if I have a pen in my hand and something to write on, it keeps me much more anchored to what's going on. And I want to hear the text. I want to hear the word preached because I believe that the gospel really changes everything, that it really touches every piece of your life, and that if you kind of drift away as we're working through this, you're going to miss something that God might have had for you specifically this week, okay? So as we're going, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to each of these opening statements as we go, and we're going to say three things about these opening statements every week. We're going to see what, is, uh, what does this say about God, Right? So we're going to learn something about God. A lot of weeks we're going to say something like God is. This week we could say God is powerful. Right? I can make a quick note. So I can even make a heading right now because we're going to get there in a minute. What is something about God? What's this main point about God today? Two, we're going to talk about what is his mission in the world. What is it that he is doing uh, in the world through the very beginning of everything? And three, what does that mean for us? What is our mission in light of God's mission in the world? What is our mission in the world? And in particular, as we think about neighbor love over this coming year, how do we get to how we serve and love our neighbors from what we're doing? From something about God to what that means for his mission in the world to how that affects our mission in the world, particularly as it relates to loving our neighbors. So, Go ahead and put those headings down, and then here's some homework for you, because you could read Genesis 1, which is where we're going to be today. You could read Genesis 1, and you might come up with some other points than the ones that I emphasize today, that through the Spirit's work, as he uh, enlightens you as you read, would be just as valuable, just as useful, right? I'm not the only one who can study the Bible. Matt's not the only one who can study the Bible and pull out salient points and apply it to life. We're here to kind of demonstrate as we preach that's what you can do too, right? You may not have 10, 20 hours if it takes that to, to prepare your, your Bible study each morning, right? If you did, you would never get to sleep, right? But you could take that 10, 20 minutes and consider, hey, what's something about God? How do we explain that from the text? And then because we're made in God's image, how do we look like that? As we're going through these, this series, applies less to you guys, but at 9 a.m., uh, Bart Thompson is going to be teaching a core class on uh, Genesis. So the, the great thing about that is my job up here is to point you from Genesis to Jesus, right? I want to move 
from the beginning of everything to what's the point of everything, right? Which is Christ as the center of all the gospel. And then in Bart's class, he can take a little bit more time to unpack some of the nuances and some of the different interpretations and understandings of what's going on as we approach these first 11 chapters of Genesis. So if you're going to be planning to be in the 9 a.m. service, I know for sure he'd be happy to share notes with you, to talk with you more than you want to talk with him. He will tell you everything that you could ever know about Genesis 1 through 11, and, uh, and would love to do it. So if you approach him, catch up with him, uh, he will be able to fill in some of the gaps as we keep on going. So last week, as we said, we concluded the book of Nehemiah, and it's kind of tough to wrap up a book, to conclude a sermon, to conclude a paper, right? Some of you guys are still in paper writing mode, and having to wrap up my thoughts and say something succinct that ties a bow on it, can be challenging. And on the flip side of that, an introduction can be really difficult as well. So when we think about what makes for a good introduction, I I want at least to kind of pique my interest. I want to to move up a little bit more to the edge of my seat. I want to want to turn the next page as I get started into the book. And so there's, there's some really memorable opening statements in our nation's history that you guys probably would be uh, fairly familiar with. Things like, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that, that launched, that set the stage for pretty dramatic happenings on the world stage. We, we've, we've heard, I have a dream, a speech that inflamed the hearts of millions for social justice and racial equality, that, that as these opening gambits of uh, the, the social justice movement as people uh, gained equality in our nation, uh, really turned the world upside down. What else does an introduction do? We, uh, we want to set the stage for the story. We're going to find the location, the characters, the intent of the author. So as you flip, right, this is the easiest Bible reading ever, right? Genesis, first book of your Bible, first page that's not notes on what the Bible says, right? Most books, most Bibles are going to say, the Old Testament, and the next page is where we want to be, okay? As we start, the introduction to everything right here is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, we're getting an introduction to the main character of the whole story of history, and that's God, right? He is the center of all of this. He was before he created he is now, will forever be after creation. So we, uh, we get to see some of these first hints of what his mission is in creation as we go. But before we get too deeply into that, I want to make two kind of groundwork statements for the creation account. Okay? First is that the creation account is primarily a message about God. Right? It's not primarily your science textbook. It's not primarily your history textbook. Though science has borne out and history, it is a historical account. But this is a, a combination of uh, historical and symbolic language that is kind of challenging to perfectly unpack, to know exactly what happened in those first days. And if we realize that the point of this is to establish God as creator, then it, it changes kind of how we read this. We don't expect the same precision that I might from a Wikipedia page. That's going to, well, that's probably precision from a Wikipedia page, forgive me. But uh, 
the same precision that we might expect from our, our texts, our textbooks on uh, what's going on here. So, as we get into that, there, there are a lot of reasonable Christians who love God and who are working really hard to understand what's going on in these, these first bits of the Bible that disagree on what's going on in the first bits of the Bible. Um, so what I find helpful to do with that, as we think of this as primarily an account of God, is say, what's, what's the minimum I need to take away from this to be true to what's in Scripture? Okay? And some of those main initial points are God exists. He spoke the world into being, and it was good. He looked at it as he made it. He said it was good. Um, we see that he, sorry, as creator and sustainer, he has authority over it. He has intentions for what he made. As the introduction to the Pentateuch, it's, it's about the land and the people going into the land. And so he is making a land for his people as we read in, into this. So if you read Genesis 1, and you come away with reverence and awe for the God who made all things just by speaking them into existence and made them all in unimaginable creative detail, then you're off to a good start, right? That's a good beginning place to go from here. Uh, if you uh, need some examples of that, right, the, uh, the Netflix series or others where, wherever they're hosting uh, Planet Earth, right, if you watch that with gospel lenses, I mean, you can't help but worship the whole time to see a God who could make so many things and so many colors with such complexity to all inner work in such intricate ways, it's, it's magnificent to think about it and to, to look at it knowing that God is one who made it. So first, the, the creation account is primarily a message about God. And second, it, it really matters what you believe about the creation account. So it's, it's increasingly unpopular in the world to believe that God spoke the world into existence, right? So there's a, a movement that some people have dubbed the new atheism, where uh, folks really hold on to a faith worldview, uh, 11 earth-unraveling syllables called philosophical materialism. So we would say that another way to say, if I believe that all there was in the whole universe is space, time, matter, and energy, and there's nothing else, Right, then I am on making a faith claim, which is what these guys are doing, that there is no way that anything else exists. Right? As opposed to that, if we were going to practice science, right, and, and the active work of practicing science, they're going to operate under the assumption of methodological materialism. Meaning, as I try to figure out if this table fell over, I'm going to try to explain what was the thing that pushed it over. Right? I'm not saying there's no way that anything supernatural could have happened but I'm going to work hard to try to figure it out with my senses first. So as we kind of break apart and think about these foundational thoughts, I can, as a reasonable thinking Christian, know and believe that God created the universe from his word, from his mind, out of nothing, right? Set it in order, put all the rules and laws that, that uh, run it into place, and that as I grow in my knowledge of the physical universe, my my understanding of God expands and expands as I see how great he is to have been able to make such a thing. Rather than thinking, the more I know, the smaller God becomes, the more I know, the greater he is for what he's done, right? So as I, as I work at all that stuff, uh, setting that groundwork, we know that according to the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, everything in here is true, it's inspired, it's God's word. So we're always going to lean into this as our authority first, 
and then work at our assumptions second. And as we live by faith, the author of the Hebrews reminds us that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So again, as you practice listening to this, we're going to start digging into our kind of main statement for this week. Think about those three themes that we wanted to get at. What's God doing here? What does it say about God? What's his mission in this? And then what do we do with that? So this week we say God speaks with authority. God speaks with authority. Okay? There's a lot going on in this little phrase. So as we go, it's good news that God speaks, that he has authority, that he is and that he reveals himself in speech, right? So God speaks with authority. First, God, in the intro to the Pentateuch, right, the first few words of Scripture, in the beginning, God. There's no convincing, there's no argument for or against, there's nothing like that. It's just known and expected and assumed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That name for God is Elohim, and Elohim is a plural form of God. So in my reading, got two ideas here that I think both are helpful as we think about Elohim as the creator God. First is that um, that he is uh, maybe a little hint at the the plurality of God, at the Trinity, that we have God the Father, and then we have the Spirit hovering over the waters, and then as we look to John, we can look back and know, hey, Jesus was in this mix as well, that we might have a little hint here at the, the Trinity. That we also, when we think about this plural idea applied to a singular in the Hebrew, the idea that something is so thoroughly that, that the singular word doesn't encompass it, so you almost have to like stack it on top of itself to emphasize what's going on here. So in another way of saying Elohim here, you might be saying that in the beginning, the goddess of gods made the earth, made the heavens and the earth. That he is so God that just writing it singular isn't enough to encompass what we're going to do. And we always kind of trip and stumble as we try to describe God with our words, because man, he is way bigger than anything that we're going to be able to put together there. So with that, we, we don't just mean any God made the heavens and the earth, right? We, we live in a culture in the South where everybody kind of thinks about God, or at least they have at some point thought about God, and we come up with all kinds of pseudo-gods, of, of kind of gods that we start to worship if we're not careful. So when I say I believe in God or that God made the heavens and the earth, it matters who I'm talking about when I say that, right? So God's not some kind of cartoon deity vaguely floating in the sky, playing with his chessboard in the world. He's not a cosmic watchmaker who crafted an intricate machine and then set it loose to go off into eternity, kind of moved on from there. Rather, he's, he's close, and he cares for you, and the same God who spoke everything that is into existence is mindful of you, right? Does that, does that blow your mind? Like, it should, as you sit and think about the enormity of the world, of space, of our place in the universe, and then like Psalm 8, David just goes, what is man that you're mindful of him? How is it that in all of this, that in all of your creative splendor, that in all the majesty that you spoke into being, you still notice me? You still care about what's going on with individual people, that you're still concerned with keeping a people 
for yourself, right? So as you, as you think, as you work with this, remember, he, he cared so much, he was so mindful that he put on flesh and lived as dirt poor carpenter's son in the backwoods in Nazareth for 33 years, before he, or 30 years, and then three more as he traveled and taught and, and let people know the kingdom of God is here, I'm the Messiah. And that he lived in the middle of all this muck and mess and trash that we have to deal with in a fallen world, never sinned, did all of that so that we could, we could inherit his righteousness by faith. So don't believe in the wrong God as you think about this. The watchmaker doesn't care. He turned on the machine and let it go. Like the grandpa, cosmic grandpa, he cares, but he can't do anything for you. That's not the God that we have here, right? The God of the Bible is near. He has a purpose for us, and he has the power to carry it through. So how do we know that that's true? Because God speaks. God speaks, right? And so he is a self-revealing God, and this is good news to us. Uh, as people think about this kind of cosmic watchmaker, that we're, we're kind of picking the universe apart as we learn and grow, and, and seeing kind of following God's footsteps in what he did, maybe, but that's kind of dangerous, because that leads us into a Romans 1 world, okay? In Romans 1, this is a world where it can be, what can be known of God is simply that he exists, that he's creative, that he's powerful, that he made the universe, and Paul says that just knowing that leaves us without excuse before him. Because what do people do? As we see what he's made, it's so great. Like, it really is so great, and it's really easy to exchange God for what he made. Because what he made is awesome, right? That the people that are around me, the, the community that I'm in, I could easily trade worship of God for trying to be worshipped in my community. I could easily trade worship of God for worship of the sun or the moon, as a lot of ancient cultures did, right? Thinking that those were the things that gave life. It would be easy to make that mistake. But we have to be careful because we know that God speaks into this. But as he does it, right, Romans 1.18 says that God's wrath is revealed. Revealed is a thing. It's, it's lit up. It's, it's made known from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So covering the truth is sin in this, right? Whether I'm aware that I'm doing it in my own life or not. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, right? And that, that is, that's bad news, right? If we got to the end of Romans and that was the end of Romans, we would be in big trouble, okay? But God speaks. He's a self-revealing God. And that's good news that we can know him as both creator and as savior, right? As almighty God, master of the universe, and Abba Father, right? A, a, a term that's almost like the first words. When we say Abba, it's almost like the first time Boone looked at me and said, Dada, that it's that close, that intimate, that we could have that relationship with the Almighty God, creator of the world, because he lets us know that we're here. So how? How does he let us know? He speaks into existence, the universe, but then he also gives us his word, right? So we want to take advantage of that. It's so easy to access, it's easy not to do it, right? There's a lot of things in your life you go, man, it's so easy to do, 
It's easy not to do, right? I could ask you all to raise your hands if you floss this morning. Everybody knows you should do it, right? That's not a question, but not everybody does it, right? So with this, don't, don't do this, okay? Romans 1 again, 21. For though they knew God, and like you, you are in that category right now. We are speaking about this God. It is the truth. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So as you, as you work through life, right, you want to protect your mind, protect your heart. Jump into the Bible, right? This is where God has spoken and continues to speak to this day about who he is, what he has done, and what that means for you. Now, as we go through the series, we've put together a Bible reading plan that will help carry you through the fall, right? Not the fall as in Genesis 3, though you need it more because of the fall in Genesis 3, but through the season, right, as we work through these texts, uh, taken from selections from John and from the Psalms. So John, because in John we get to see that Jesus is part uh, part and parcel in creation. He is the Word. He made all things with God, and He's the light of the world. He's He's the one restoring what went wrong in the fall. So we're going to read John as we work through this, and then from the Psalms, because I like to think of the Psalms as a big collection of how God likes to be talked to, right? So it's it's kind of like if if you're married and you were uh, learning your your significant other, you started to learn certain things that you say and certain things that you don't say, certain things that they appreciate that you do, and certain things that you feel like they should appreciate that you do, but they don't, so you can stop doing them, right? Um, In the Psalms, we get to see, uh, just like Psalm 19 that we read this morning, like Psalm 8 that talks about how incredible creation is and how incredible it is that God still notices us in the middle of it, that we get to uh, learn a little more about how to talk to God about himself and that stuff. So you'll be able to find that Bible reading plan. We'll post it in social media. We'll have it on the website going forward. Okay, so God is, right? It's important. God speaks, but he speaks with authority. Okay, so God speaks. He's self-revealing God, but he speaks with authority. And so when we say authority, Right? You, you can think of the authorities, you can think of people with authority, and, and we usually mean kind of two different things by authority. One, somebody might be an authority on a subject. They're well-studied, well-read, they know a lot, and so when you need to know something, think about something, learn something, you can address the authorities, the people who know. And then on the other hand, when you talk about authorities, you have people who uh, have power that they can actually affect change, that they can do something about something if they are an authority. And in this case, God is both, right? God speaks with authority both because he knows all things, right? He is the expert on all things because he made all things. And as the one who had the power to out of nothing make all things, right? Uh, So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he proceeds over the next 24 verses to just, he says the words that make all things. He knows everything about that that he created. He knows everything about the creatures that he filled it with, including us, right? He knows about our deepest longings, our simplest needs, the smallest and the largest things that plague us. He knows, right? He has the authority to speak to creatures about how they should live, 
because he ordained it. He decided it. He made it, right? He gets to tell people what to do because we owe our very existence to him. His words uh, create order and beauty. His word is the law of the universe. He's the ultimate power in all of creation and therefore kind of doubly an authority in this case, right? So as God speaks with authority, God, who is one, reveals himself through the word. As we get into John, we'll see he reveals himself through the word, Jesus. He made everything and has authority over everything. His words are powerful. They made and they sustain all things. As the author of Hebrews says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Right, so God made and holds everything together. And we get to see him through Jesus. So, what is our responsibility, right? God speaks with authority. And as we see what he says, it pushes us into his mission, okay? So the first words that God speaks into this narrative are, let there be light. Let there be light, okay? And as we set the stage for all of history, his opening statements are preparing the world for humanity. And it was very good, right? We got to the end of all this physical creation, and it was very good. So let's think about how God reveals himself in light and what that means for us as his people, okay? So we're going to take three skips of the stone as we go here. We're going to think about Israel as a light. We're going to think about Jesus, the truer and better light. And then we're going to think about our mission as the church, to be light, okay? So Israel, we know... God called a people from nothing. First, he made them out of the dirt, right? Matt's going to talk a lot more about that next week. And then after that, he uh, gets us through Abraham, and he says, hey, I'm going to make a people for myself. And I have a mission for those people. They're going to live as a light to the nations. They're going to live to show what it's like to be my people, to have me as their God, to reflect my glory to the whole earth, right? If you ever wonder why the plagues in Egypt, to reflect the glory of God over and above the gods of Egypt. Why save these people back from the Babylonians and the Assyrians? To reflect the glory of God and power over these kingdoms and kings who everyone thought ruled the world, right? God's doing this to show through his image bearers, reflectors of his glory. So Isaiah, I want you guys to flip there. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42. Verse 5, we're going to read 5 through 7. <clears throat> this is, if you read it and think about it, we're, we're almost reading the Great Commission of the Old Testament. Right? If you're familiar with the New Testament, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, 18 to 20, we're going to get to in a minute. But Isaiah 42, 5 says, This is what God, the Lord, says. Who created the heavens and stretched them out? Who spread out the earth and what comes from it? Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it? I am the Lord. Okay? So what's he doing in verse 5? He's saying, what's the basis of my authority? I did this. Everything that you look around and see, it's mine. I made it. I spoke it into existence. And uh, if you're looking around to see it, I did that too. You have breath and spirit. You have life because I put it into you right? So God's saying, I have the authority. I am the Lord, okay? And then he says, I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. 
So I have a mission for you. I am the Lord and I have called you for a purpose. I made you for a purpose. I called you for the purpose. I meant something by you. And so the purpose, the mission, the light to the nations is to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. He said, I I made my people to save people from their dungeons. You think, what what does that mean? What are dungeons? Like people don't typically get locked up in basements now and and chained up and, and left in a dungeon somewhere like you would in these days. So when, when we think about this blindness and these dungeons, right, we're going to bring that forward in just a minute and say, what, what is it that he's saving us from, okay? So God made the world. He made a people for himself, and he said to them, be light. Reveal me to the nations, right? That's what light does. It reveals. Reveal me to the nations. And then Adam, and then Noah, and then Abraham, and then Moses, and then David, and Solomon, and everyone on down the list, they blew it, right? Their mission was perfectly image God to creation, perfectly rule like God ruled in creation, and they they just couldn't do it. And so, from that spot, God didn't leave us there, right? Praise God that he didn't leave us there. We go to John 1, right? So let's flip there. John 1. I'm getting you ahead on your, uh, your Bible reading for this week, right? This is the passage for tomorrow as you start reading. John 1, 1 through 5. Okay, I'll leave the rest to you as you go forward. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was, that, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus, the word that God speaks, right? The word that was there in the beginning, giving life to all things, brought existence to everything. He is, as creator still, the supreme authority. He has the power, right, to carry his mission through to completion. And in him was life, the light that shines in the darkness, Right, so those dungeons, the darkness, right? Imagine yourself in a dungeon. It's grimy, it's dark, there's no windows. You're shut up in the dark. And we think, what what dungeons? What what is it that Jesus was coming to set people free? What's the light that shines in the darkness? You you think, man, what what are the dungeons that we're in? The dungeon of sin, right? But but more than that, what does that mean? Okay? So maybe the dungeon that you might be sitting in this morning that says I've got to be good enough for God to forgive me. That, that what Jesus did on the cross, like, that's good, I believe that's true, and I'll confess my sins and, and say, you know, I, I believe God will forgive them, but I, I need to clean some things up. Like, I've got to get some things together before God can actually forgive me. Maybe, maybe I'm in the dungeon of comparison and blame, lying, trying to cover up who I really am because God can't love me like me. I've got to justify myself to him. I've got to figure out, you know, how I can be worthy of this this light, this salvation that he offers. I might be trapped in a dungeon of of needing to feel important or fear that that someone will find out that I'm a fraud. I might be trapped in in any number of dungeons where I feel like, man, like I'm, 
I'm not good enough. And the, the truth of that is, you're not, and that's okay. Because Jesus died for that. For that specifically, so that you could have light that would crack open those dungeon doors, and at first, first exposure to the light and the darkness is probably going to hurt your eyes a little bit. It's going to burn, it's going to hurt a little bit as you enter into that and, and really surrender and say, I really can't do that. I really can't be good enough. I really can't clean myself up enough that God's going to forgive me because Jesus died for all of that. It's all gone, right? It's in, it's in the blood, right? It's been forgiven. So we can, man, if, if, if I believe that, if that is really true for me, that God has freed me from my dungeon, that the light has shone into the darkness and illuminated me, then what's my job as the church, as the light of the world under Jesus' authority, right? So some of the last words that Jesus shares on earth are found in Matthew 28, right? You're probably familiar with this as the Great Commission. And there's amazing parallel here with what God says about Israel's mission in the Old Testament. He says, Jesus came near to them and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? Hopefully we've established that so far this morning. Like Jesus really actually has the power to do what he said he would do. Okay? If, you, if you look back at creation, he made the world. Right? Surely he can empower you to go next door and like help rake some leaves at your neighbor's yard and tell them that you did it because of the love of Christ. Right? Surely that means that because you are so overjoyed at being freed from the prison, from the dungeon that you were in and sin, that you could tell the person in the cubicle next to you that there is a reason for the hope that you have. That as people are freaking out about all the things that are happening in the news media, that, that you know, my kingdom isn't here. My kingdom's in heaven. I know, that, I know that God has this all in hand. And you can share the hope and the truth that you have, right? Because he has the authority to carry you through that. Right? And remember, Isaiah 42, what did he just say? He said, who put all this here to begin with? It was me. I am the Lord. Right? That's the Jesus who is talking to you here. Sometimes I think we get the wrong Jesus in mind, and we think, you know, the, the baby in a manger, which is important. It's a step. But if you flip back to Revelation, this is a whole different animal, right? Same person. But this is Jesus in power, ruling, reigning, king of the universe, that Hebrews says God made everything his footstool, right? Like, this is, this is a powerful Jesus who's saying, I'm with you, I have the authority to send you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And in that way, kind of paralleling what we saw in Isaiah, be light. Set people free. Bring the gospel. Shine the light of Jesus into what's going on in their lives. And then bring uh, the, the real, true, good news. Because that's what it is, man. The gospel should be good news when you share it with somebody. Because it's relief for the burdens that they carry. It is the light that shines into the dungeon and sets them free. <clears throat> as, you, as you work at that, I want to encourage you to kind of practice what, I uh, just recently read a good book called Gospel Fluency, right? And, and the, the point of that is if you're learning a language, right? Most, most people, if you've done uh, any, any amount of college schooling, whatever, you've had to take some Spanish, some French, some something. When you think about being fluent in a language, it means I can think it, 
I, I might even dream in that language instead of uh, my native tongue. I'm not having to think about what you said, translate it, say it in English, translate it back, and then try to say it in that other language. A lot of times uh, we joke and call that kind of Spanglish, right, as we're, we're trying to figure this stuff out. Well, a lot of us speak gospelish, right, that we, we see a situation and we go, ooh, darkness. I know there's something in here. I know the Bible speaks to that, and I have to kind of translate I kind of fumble it out, and then I'm, oh man, I could have said that better. I feel, I feel like that was clumsy. Let me encourage you, okay? Practicing gospel fluency starts out like that, right? Just like it would be if you were going to immerse yourself in a language, and you were taking Spanish, and you just finished Spanish too, and you moved to Spain. You're going to speak Spanish like a five-year-old, okay? And that's okay, because that's the first step to speaking Spanish like a six-year-old, right? And continuing on and being able to become fluent in this. At first, you're going to be sitting in your small group and you're going to know, I know the gospel says something to this. And you're going to try to say it and you're going to feel like you just floundered through it and you're like, I don't know. And then you're going to want to stop. You're going to want to be quiet. And just don't. Just don't be quiet, right? The way that you get better at this is to practice saying it. That if, if you want to be the light, if you want to share the light, if God says, let there be light, right? And he makes a people and he says, let them be light, and his son is light, right? Be light and just keep practicing. Keep practicing. Never let an opportunity pass to speak Jesus into something, okay? Disciplining your kids, speaking to your coworkers, right? Bring Jesus in to all this stuff because what we know is in Jesus, 1 Peter tells us, you are a chosen race. Chosen, right? It's kind of like adoption where, like, I had my kids. I love my kids, but I didn't pick my kids, right? They, they showed up and this is what we got. That's awesome. I love them. But adoption is something special. When you reach into somebody else's space and you say, I want you. Be mine, right? So you're a chosen race. If you're in Christ this morning, God picked you out specifically to be a part of his people. You're a royal priesthood, royal, kingly, queenly. There's authority in that. There's power in that. Priesthood, you are uh, going to God and for these unbelieving friends that you have, these, these relationships, as we practice neighbor love, you, you may be their go-between at first as you try to teach them the gospel, as you pray on their behalf to call them to repentance. You're a holy nation. You've been set apart as a people for God, a people for his possession, a prize that God has, so that God did all that. He made you you, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were alone, once you were broken, once you were stuck in the dungeon, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you, as a royal priesthood, are charged with evangelistic mission to bring people under God's authority for their ultimate good. So, concluding thought here, God speaks with authority. He says, let there be light. And so, we are to speak with his authority the light and truth of the gospel far and wide to bring people into God's marvelous light for their ultimate good. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a revealing God. That you made all this and did not set it adrift. That you didn't put us on earth with, with holes in us that think, why am I here? Why do I exist? Why should I, why should I be and then just left us to our own devices, our own fears, our own dungeons that develop around us. But that you shone light as a revealing God into our lives, that you, you 
have the authority, the power to bring the work to completion in us. God, I pray that you would move us, that we would be so just staggered by the truth of the gospel and by what you've done in our hearts, setting us free from sin, that we would have to practice gospel fluency, that we would have to tell people about the light that has illuminated our darkness. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray, amen.